0: Kelvin Cochran, a decorated firefighter with a distinguished track record of 30 years of service, was forced to step down from his position as a Delana fire chief in 2015. Maybe you heard about this incident. It was after he wrote a book for a men's Bible study. Cochran, a Christian, had included a section about biblical principles on marriage and sexuality specifically stating that marriage is between a man and a woman before God. He was fired for writing what he wrote on his own time. In December 2017, the U.S. District Court for the Northern Northern District of Georgia ruled in favor of Cochran and determined that the city's policies were Unconstitutional. This last Monday, if I'm not mistaken, the city of Atlanta agreed to pay Cochrane $1.2 million in damages and attorney fees. Christians are thankful for this. Christians can be thankful for this. I am thankful for this. But it could have turned out much differently. And I think we are fooling ourselves, given our current cultural climate, if we think that that will become the pattern to reward people such sums of money for their outside-of-work biblical convictions. Christians need to know, while we're grateful for what happened there, just because we're Christians who live in the United States of America, for example, doesn't mean we're somehow isolated from shame, that we're protected from ridicule, that we are somehow safe from persecution. We would be foolish to think that given what Jesus himself said and as Christians we're followers of Jesus. In John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus also said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. At one point in time in Jesus' ministry in the Galilee region, when he was teaching hard things, many of his disciples left, it says in John chapter 6. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This morning what we're going to do is receive some inspiration from the Apostle Peter. Who knew what it was like to be with Jesus and to watch many disciples, many followers who saw Jesus do miraculous things to substantiate his great grandiose claims with real action and witnessed it happen and they left. And Peter is the one who said to Jesus, where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that perspective that came from Peter's mouth definitely comes out in 1 Peter. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And what Peter is doing is he's encouraging Christians who are being persecuted, who are not in their homeland, if you will. They're scattered abroad. They're referred to as exiles. Exiles. They're not where they want to be. They don't have the relationships they want to have. It's definitely not heaven on earth for them. And He's encouraging them, just like He's going to encourage us, I hope, today, to remember that Jesus has the words of eternal life. So when you get rubbed the wrong way, and you rub people the wrong way, and things aren't going well, and you're really, really, really struggling... It still makes all the sense in the world to trust in Christ because he has the words of eternal life. So, 1 Peter is designed to help us. Remember, it opens up by describing the Christians that Peter's addressing as elect, oh, all of the benefits and privileges of belonging to Christ, shorthand, and also shorthand for exiles. This is in heaven. You're not glorified, you're going to suffer, you're going to experience conflict, and it's hard to live in the in-between world, as I like to call it, but you can do it. He's going to give inspiration, he's going to inspire, he's going to help, he's going to remind them to have the right perspective. And so this morning, I'll give you four reminders from First Peter chapter two, First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. So we're going to work through verses 4 to 8, and the outline I'm going to use, if it helps you to follow, four reminders that help us to keep perspective. When someone is mad at you because you're a Christian, or because your being a Christian reflects certain morals or principles, convictions, you're treated unjustly, unfairly, whether it's in your house, or in your job, or in your community, or wherever it is. And sometimes, if we're honest, maybe it doesn't seem like it's worth it. inspiration let me help you he has the words of eternal life four reminders designed to help us number one there's a reminder that i'll put this way remember who you've trusted in remember who you've trusted in let's go ahead and look at verse four here's a reminder of who we've trusted in this is first peter chapter two and it says as you have excuse me as you come to him A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. That's a reminder of who you've trusted in. As you come to Him, and he's using that as a synonym that he'll use later for belief. As you've come to trust in Jesus, as you've come to believe in Jesus, as you'll say in verse 6, remember who you've come to trust in. We all trust in things, we all understand faith, we all understand belief, but Christians have trusted in Christ, trusted in Jesus, in His life, His death, and His resurrection. As you've come to Him, remember who you've trusted in. A living stone. Think He's alive, He's not dead. This is post-crucifixion, but He says living stone because He's resurrected and ascended. So you're not trusting in a dead stone, you're trusting in a living stone, And he's using this stone metaphor, which we'll talk more about later, but he's using it as a, as you're going to have a building, you're going to be part of a building, but Christ is, uh, what, what God has built and what he's building, but he's going to use it for temple talk, and we're part of the temple. More of that to come. But for now, let's just say, let's just see, he's, he's a living stone. Oh, it's true, he's rejected by men. And he'll say more about that. And he's trying to identify with us, trying to identify with Christians who are feeling rejected and they're feeling, he's going to use another word, shamed. You should be ashamed of yourself for believing these things and having these convictions in our culture. You're on the wrong side of history. Or so we might hear. He's saying, no, he's the living stone. And not only is He the living stone, yes, it's true He's been rejected by men, but notice the contrast. Let's remember who Jesus is here to inspire us. In the sight of God, so in the sight of men, He's a fool, He's an idiot, He's antiquated, or whatever it might be, but in the sight of God, ah, that's what matters, chosen and precious. It's very simple, stark, clear, But the kind of thing I need to hear. I like people to like me. There's something wrong with us when we're not that way, right? Some of you are seeing counselors about this. (laughs) I like to be liked. It's normal. I like I love to be loved. I want to be accepted. I like friends. I like positive relationships, not the negative kind of relationships. It's just how it is for us. But the reality is when you're trusting in Jesus who was rejected by all different kinds of people, significantly he ends up crucified because he's rejected by powerful people. It would be crazy for you to think that you're not going to feel tension and pushback, and we feel it sometimes more than other times. But we've got to have perspective. Rejected by human beings, some of them powerful ones. The kind I like to have, be impressed with me, not look down on me. But in the sight of God, and He's trying to remind people like us, the sight of God is is what's ultimately going to matter. That stone is the chosen stone precious stone the most important stone the one you're trusting in man if I could just get that through my head right I mean I'm encouraged I could be inspired to, 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 to do it another day and it may, it may cost me everything but I've got the right perspective of things and, and where else should I go you have the words of eternal life and and He's the one I'm trusting in. If I can help you week in and week out and just kind of encourage you and, and, and foster that and inspire you through simple words like that from Scripture, remember in whom you have believed. Even as we just got done singing, He will hold you fast. Rejected versus chosen and precious. He's the living stone. Should we move on? Probably should move on. I have a story to tell, and everybody likes stories, but I'm thinking we should move on. Living stone, not dead stone. Living stone. Okay, I'll tell you a story. (laughs) So I was talking to someone a week or so ago and and they wanted to know what I did and then one thing leads to another and what about the Bible and how does all that stuff work, all questions about all different kinds of things. And the weird thing is maybe I'm just a... You know, maybe I'm just a... I mean, usually I don't go looking for it, right? I'm talking about the weather, talking about... Whatever. Don't get me wrong, I like to talk about Jesus, but usually I don't even have to bring it up, and somehow it's just like, I don't know. It's my Jesus cologne or something. I don't know how it works, but we could sell this and make lots of money. But anyway, so... I mean, like, asking all the right questions. I'm thinking, I couldn't make this stuff up. I guess this is why we pray, for opportunities. And so... The, the gentleman eventually said, you know, it takes a lot of faith. And he was being polite. He said, it takes a lot of faith to be you. I really admire your faith. I just, I just could never have that much faith. It provided a good opportunity to talk about, you see, because he's thinking it's, it's virtuous because I have a lot of faith. And, and not only that, I have a lot of blind trust in nothing. Right? And so it was just a good opportunity to say, you know, I guess I wouldn't think so highly of me. Um, it helps to remember that Christians, and we've been talking long enough for him to understand, Christians, Christianity, historically speaking, is not about having faith in faith, like faith in my virtue. If I just believe strong enough in things that don't make sense or that never happen, all oh, Aesop's fables are true, they're true, they're true, they're true. They're true. Right? I said, what's interesting, at least as a Christian, I'm trusting in, I'm believing in, I have come to, to use First Peter's terminology, a historic person who lived and died, and on a Friday afternoon outside of the city, they crucified Him. And He's been raised from the dead before witnesses. And He looked at me like, What kind of religion did you just make up? Right? I'm just trying to give him like basic Bible Christianity. And he might say, I don't believe any of that's true. And then we could have a different conversation. But it's like he never even thought about that before. So let me encourage you to talk to people in basic terms. Because at least it gave him something to think about. God works through these things. I can't change his heart, you know, having the right answers. But he'd never even thought that that's what Christianity believes or teaches or put the pieces together. We're not saying we're believing in nothing. We're just going to really believe hard. We're talking about a living, resurrected reality, real-time, real space, and we're going to trust in him, the one who's chosen and precious before God. Remember in whom you have believed. I think the song says that he is able. Got to remember that. Let's move on. No more stories. Until the next one. Number two, remember who you are in Christ. Remember who you are in Christ. Again, this is real basic, but it is Real important. In fact, how about, these are stunning words if you just let them be stunning. Verse 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, you who've come by, come to him, our verse before says you've come to him, you who've come to him, you who've come to him by faith, you're trusting in him, you yourselves, like living stones, so he's the living stone, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So we're united to Him and because He's alive and He's a stone, we're like living stones and we're being built up and it's some kind of spiritual structure, some kind of spiritual house. And I want to come back to that, but for now let's just keep going in the verse because they are really stunning words. Let them stun you, if you will. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I think those are meant to be stunning. He just, he, just, he just ran over to the Old Testament and took a whole bunch of really big and important realities and He brought them into the new. And what just happened? Who are we in Christ? Well, we're like living stones. And He's going to say in a little while, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And we're like living stones being built up. He's using temple kind of terminology. There's no question about it. He, he, he's going to even talk about in Zion later on. The the, the temple in Jerusalem, what happens at the temple? They would have all known, even if they weren't Jews, the people he's writing to. What happens in the temple where the stones are? What happens is that in the temple is that's where God dwells uniquely. He's omnipresent, but he uniquely dwells with his people in the temple. And that's where atonement happens. That's where sacrifice happens. There's a whole Old Testament history of those things happening. And that's why we have the priesthood. And if you're a part of the priesthood, you're really close to God. And if you're not a part of the priesthood, you need to have a priest because you need them on your behalf to get really close to God to make sacrifices. This is striking what he's saying here because he's using that imagery and he is saying Jesus is that stone and you're like living stones being built up. That's where God uniquely dwells. You're a part of that. Think about these folks who are exiled, persecuted, shunned. Maybe they don't have much. They certainly don't have a temple. We're just all the slackers out here. We got nothing. We got no smells. We got no bells. We got no priestcraft, right? We heard there's a letter from Paul floating around somewhere that's a circular letter. We sure hope we get that sometime because that would help us understand our Old Testament that we do have. Man, dare I say, kind of sucks to be a Christian. We got none of that stuff. If you're offended by that, sorry. But I mean, right, it's it's a bummer. We 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 don't have any of that stuff. And he's saying, you have all of the stuff. It's better. You, You have the living stone, and you're like living stones being built up. And you're you're making spiritual sacrifices that, by the way, are better than those things that we're prefiguring. You do, you don't have anything, but you have everything. There's no doubt what he's getting at. He's using that kind of talk in a very deliberate and purposeful way. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a spiritual temple, a spiritual society if you will, together where God uniquely dwells. You don't have anything but you have everything. And that's no small thing. Holy priesthood? You are like a holy priesthood I like it that Peter, too, Peter, let's give credit where credit is due. Peter is an apostle, unique, special, extraordinary. And he doesn't say, oh, and by the way, Jesus nicknamed him Rock, right? And Peter doesn't say, and I'm the apostle Peter, the Rock. Don't you ever forget it. Do what I say, right? Mm Mm-mm. You yourselves, silly looking, goofy Christians, exiled. Not you guys, but those guys, right? (laughs) You yourselves, like living stones, rocks, significance, and God is doing something. And what is God doing? Not in that physical temple anymore when the curtain was torn no, what he's doing is he's working in and through and among you because you're united to Christ. And now, even though you're sinners through Christ, now you're the spiritual priesthood offering a, oh, acceptable sacrifices. I haven't gone through the ceremonies. I haven't th- gone through the cleansings. I'm not related to the right people because of the right lineage. In Christ, spiritual sacrifices Holy priesthood. It's trippy what he's doing. It's exceptional what he's doing. It's extraordinary what he's doing. We don't think of ourselves like this. He's not doing it to make them prideful. He's saying, you're hurting, you're down, you feel like you've got nothing and then something worse. Just just let me just remind you of who you are in Christ. You can do it another day. You're going to forget all this tomorrow, right? It's good. It's good to be in Christ. He has the words of eternal life. And now, by the way, if this is true, by the way, now the things you do, I'm going to keep verse 5 in the context of things. Sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Remember earlier in 1 Peter, he talks about how our conduct should be different. or to be holy for God is holy. And we should do, we shouldn't just live the same old way we used to live, and we shouldn't just live like every other run-of-the-mill unbeliever. We're supposed to live a certain kind of way. And you'll talk about it later in the book. Now that we're Christians, we offer holy sacrifices acceptable to God. I think he's, what he's getting at is our behavior, our living for the glory of Christ ends up being our holy sacrifice that we Offer like spiritual priests to God, and we know that even though they used to be like filthy rags, if I can borrow from Isaiah, in and through Christ, because we're united to Christ, acceptable to God. It's good. It's really good. It makes me want to be a preacher. It's like, yeah, I need to hear that. You yourself. What I wrote in my notes is from the very beginning of, of verse 5, is it? Yeah. You yourselves. And I did dot, dot, dot. Holy priesthood. One person, one, one uh, New Testament scholar put it this way. This means that every Christian is the ultimate Insider really, really think that's well put. Every Christian is the ultimate insider. David Helm wrote that. I'll give credit where credit is due. I thought that's a great quote. Because if you're a priest, you're an insider. You get to go in, right? Holy of Holies, borrowing from that imagery. And if you're a priest, you're an ultimate insider. And by the way, you're better than that high priest because you're united to Christ, the ultimate high priest. You're the ultimate capital U underlined, underscore, all in bold, ultimate insider. You can't make this stuff up. This is wild stuff. If we want to control people religiously, don't tell them about this, by the way. But we don't want to do that. This is great. Who am I in Christ? This provides motivation. I want to do the right thing, even if I'm in, in a difficult spot. Do the right thing for the right reason. I have, I have a, I'm able to do this. I'm free to do this. You're free to do this. That's inspiring. Let's move on to number three, a third reminder. Remember that this is what the Bible says. Remember that this is what the Bible says. And maybe there's a better way to put that. In other words, remember, this is not new. No, there's a better way to put it. Anybody keeping up? (laughs) Remember, this is part of the plan. Okay? So he's going to quote the Old Testament multiple passages, at least two. And he's going to say, "This this is what God designed even in the Old Testament for this to happen this way regarding Christ. So this isn't this isn't this isn't, the, isn't the this isn't the we came up with this, but it wasn't part of the plan. He's going to quote Old Testament scripture to say this is this is part of God's plan to begin with that it would work out this way. Types and shadows find fulfillment in substance and reality. This is part of the plan. This is biblical, as in Old testament dish E right rooted and grounded and, and this is part of the unfolding drama plan and so here I am suffering persecuted and I've got friends and relatives and they sure seem to have a lot more going on than I do because they've got smells and bells and they've got all the stuff and I seem to have a lot of whole lot of nothing. It sure seems like physical is better than spiritual. I might be tempted to think. And he's going to, and then the Jesus thing if he really would have been the one, then why did they crucify him? Yeah, Christianity is crazy and wrong and broken because if it would have been right, they all would have bowed down and worshiped him. Might be in the back of my head. Peter, what he's going to do is, no, this is actually what it talks about in the Old Testament. So the reminder to inspire you is, this is biblical. This is this is this is by design. This isn't a mistake. Okay? 4 verse 6 says it stands in scripture, Isaiah 28 verse 16. This is rooted in Old Testament reality. This isn't something we just came up with flying by the seat of our pants, for it stands in scripture. Behold, I, that's God doing the doing, so this is important. I want to be on God's side, even though I'm on everyone else's bad side sometimes. Behold, I, God says, am laying in Zion. That would be, that would be Israel. That would be Temple Mount. That would be Jerusalem. I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. He's using that language that Peter just used, chosen and precious. And whoever believes, that's synonymous, what we saw earlier with, comes to Him. Whoever believes or trusts in Him will not be put to shame. Isn't it interesting? It's worth noting that in quoting Isaiah, the stone becomes personified. What I mean by that is he says, in him, whoever believes in him. It's the stone imagery, yes, cornerstone imagery. But even back there, he says, whoever believes in him. There's going to be a living stone. So if you want to talk to me about which is more significant, the physical or the spiritual, according to God's plan in the Old Testament, the spiritual is going to be more significant in that it's the fullness of the reality. It's in a person. God's doing. Behold, I am laying laying in Zion. Jewish temple. Everyone would be aware. Even non-Jewish people. That's what happens in Zion. And from God's perspective, chosen and precious. And we've already talked about and learned about extensively... The temple chosen and precious in Zion is Jesus. Remember John chapter 2? If you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. Jesus claims to be the living stone. Jesus claims to be the ultimate meeting place with God. Where ultimate atonement And forgiveness happens. I love it. I've got to remember that this is actually not just spoken about in the New Testament. It's anticipated in the Old. As an aside, I would remind you the Old Testament talks about a coming new covenant and that therefore assumes that the Old Covenant eventually is going to be treated as the Old Covenant. See what I did there? I went to public high school, but I, I, I really know how to confuse people. No. It's, it's all part of a, a, a purposeful plan. I am laying in Zion, the living stone, the chief cornerstone. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, we're not there yet, but he's going to talk about how this was an offense to unbelievers. He's going to quote Isaiah chapter. Eight, verse 14, and it's, this very one who's the chief cornerstone is also a stumbling block. And that becomes important for us because, again, here I am as Pat the Christian, and I want everybody to be believing in Jesus and find Him reasonable and to find Him being the one who fulfills all these things. And I can't figure out for the life of me why people don't trust in Jesus. I mean, theologically, I know why. But still, I mean, I remember becoming a brand new Christian, pretty sheltered life Grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, You know, only suspended once for assault. Uh, (laughs) Interesting life. (laughs) Why did I say that? (laughs) Pretty sheltered life, pretty naive. Somebody confronts me as a university student with the gospel and questions my religion and gets me to start reading the Bible and I'm like, duh, I'm not a Christian. I need to become a, a Christian. I need to believe in Jesus. And I was so dumb. I've shared this with you before. So naive. I thought most people, if not virtually everyone, would think this was awesome. It wasn't the case. I thought especially religious people would like it. Like my mother-in-law. <laughs> I, I found the opposite to be true. And it just was like, what, what in the world? Maybe my Christianity is broken. I, I, I'm not saying what I'm, my experience is exactly what's going on here, but there's at least a sliver of similarity as far as it gets pretty disheartening sometimes when you are confident about something and you share that confidence with others, and other people come to the exact opposite conclusion about the very one you're putting your confidence in. And there is the tendency eventually at some time or another to say, Maybe, maybe it is wrong. Peter's trying to, and he is successfully, coming alongside of us saying, this is part of the plan. God chose precious in his sight, the son, the chief cornerstone of the temple building where God would uniquely dwell, and he is taking you and united you to him by faith and built upon him and in him part of that great spiritual reality where you're, Spiritual priests who make sacrifices acceptable to God. You're not crazy. Because sometimes I think I am. For believing in basic historic Christianity. You say, no, this is actually part of what's purposed and planned. There's no shame in that, even though you're being shamed in a public, temporary kind of way. Chosen and precious. No shame in trusting in Him. Ultimate shame. I think that's good and important, by the way, at the end of verse 6. If you believe in Him, you won't be put to shame. That's important because that's not saying that in the here and now by your friends and neighbors and husbands and wives and kids and grandkids or whoever it might be, He's not saying you'll never be shamed. He's talking to people who are feeling ashamed and being shamed. But from God's perspective, ultimately where it counts, there's no shame in what you've trusted in. cornerstone, chosen and precious. Just one quick thing about about the imagery he's using. No doubt he's going to talk about, he's talking about Zion. So he's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about temple uh, there. We've got Solomon's temple then rebuilt by Herod for the Jews. But the, the temple is a, is a significant thing. I mean, the temple's not there now, but the walls around the temple that surround the temple mount are there, even though it's been destroyed, even though it's, now we've tried to rebuild it archaeologically so you get the gist of it. It is fascinating how massive it is. And it is fascinating. Some of you have been there before where you can walk in the tunnel on the, I think it's the western wall. Um, it is the western wall. And you walk down into the tunnel and you can see some of the stones that didn't get knocked over. And it's daunting. I've talked about it before. Again, some of you have seen it. There's the one stone. I don't know if it's the biggest one or not, but it's the biggest one I've ever seen. and It's the biggest one they have uncovered. Forty-some uh, feet by about 11 and a half feet by 15 feet. And it weighs 570 tons. It's, it's, it's massive. You just go, what in the world? How did they? And they're going to show you a video later and all this kind of stuff. And you're just like, without Peter Kiewit? <laughs> I mean, it's just baffling to your mind how, and it's not the cornerstone. I'm not trying to make that point. I'm just trying to make the point that physically the the temple is daunting. That's not the temple, but the temple mount wall surrounding it, it's daunting physically. It's awe-inspiring. And here, let's ratchet all that stuff up a hundredfold. He's talking about the temple stone, and he's talking about the chief cornerstone upon which everything else has to be built or it won't be built right if you're believing in Jesus, Peter is saying you're believing in the most important part of the whole temple, oh by the way we're not even talking about that temple we're talking about the ultimate temple that borrowing from grandeur and greatness is no small thing designed to inspire you and encourage you and help you i'm not crazy institution you're the one that's crazy institution anybody know who sings that song suicidal tendencies anyway just get some pop culture here from the 1980s i have so much baggage it's not even funny <laughs> see punk rock has its virtues right or not <laughs> i'm not crazy You're the one that's crazy. If you're a Christian, you're not having faith in faith. You're not crazy. Keep perspective. It was part of God's plan even to have Christ be the stumbling block, the very one who the powerful would reject, many of them anyway, would be the one that you would trust in. And it would be right to trust in Him, and you wouldn't be put to shame if you trust in Him. Let's move on to the last one. number four I had one more thing in my notes about this and so I'll make four shorter so I've got to go back to three just as, as an aside I was having so much fun quoting pop culture there, there, we should maybe make a footnote here and tuck it away in our minds about how we view uh, Christianity as it would relate to buildings Christianity is about people we're being built up as this spiritual building temple structure where the resurrected, ascended Christ is the chief cornerstone. It's about being in awe of how awesome this spiritual reality is. It's amazing. It's baffling what God has done and what God is building. And so we have it wrong, I would suggest to you, when we say... Church of the Holy Sepulchre, it's so awesome. St. Peter's, so amazing. Church of the Nativity, have you seen it? Let's let's take it outside. Getting kind of confused here. Not saying I don't love great architecture, I'm not saying I don't love great art, not saying you shouldn't either. Christianity, as one person put it, is the religion of no buildings. That's what makes it great. When Christ returns, we can talk about buildings in the new heaven, in the new earth, in the Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem. Let's not get it backward. Because, by the way, if it were about buildings right now, we wouldn't be the exiles. We would just be the elect. And let's build what looks like heaven on earth, by the way. Okay, I'll move on. No apologies. Number four, remember the bigger picture. Remember the bigger picture. This is just a good way to end, to encourage us. Remember the big picture of things, which I don't always remember. Verse 7 says, So the honor is for you who believe. So when you're insulted and undermined and lose the promotion, how honored do you feel? How about that fire chief? How honored did he feel? No honor, only shame. Okay? But he's saying here, big picture, the honor is for you. The honor is for you ultimately because you're trusting in the honorable one. Okay, let's keep going, verse 7. But for those who do not believe, he's going to quote Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In our context, accordingly, according to plan, this is intentional. And then he quotes Isaiah 8. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, the gospel word in 1 Peter, as they were destined to do. We only have time for the simple sorting out of the very same stone that you find wonderful and life-giving where you won't be put to shame when you trust in Him is the very, 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 very same one that people stumble over and reject. It's not that we have two different Jesuses, it's the same Jesus. Keep perspective. Keep perspective. Keep perspective. Don't think, if I only had a different Jesus. If I only had a different Jesus. You don't want a different Jesus. But the very same Jesus that people find beautiful, wonderful, trustworthy, and they place their confidence in, the one who God says is chosen and precious, is the very same one who others will say, I wouldn't mind Christianity if it weren't for their Christ. You're not crazy. Keep perspective. Shall we be done? I think we shall. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt what we've talked about this morning just begins to try to plumb the depths of the riches of His kindness and grace. Thank you that Jesus voluntarily as the the eternal Son who was without beginning and without end chose to become one of us because he loved us and that he came into this world and he came here he became one of us a member of the human race and he did everything perfectly he was treated as if he'd done everything wrong and was crucified on a cross thank you that that very same Christ the sinless one the perfectly righteous one was victorially victorially raised from the dead only to live on and to live forever, that He is the Ascended One. He is its, uh, seated at the right hand of the Father even now, as Peter talked about earlier in First Peter, that our eternal inheritance that is ours because of Christ is protected, it is kept. Thank you that we're so privileged to know all of these things in greater detail than believers who came before us, even like in the Old Testament. Encourage us today as we go, whether we're facing good times or hard times. Help us to keep perspective. Help us to keep looking forward to the return of Christ, that we would not think that somehow this is it. Help us to long for that day when we are able to see Christ and we're made like Him and resurrected in glorification. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.